All right. You know, I told you earlier, everybody must, you know, maybe be on vacation. We're getting late in the summer already. Um, I was told at the door this morning that they must have heard I was preaching today. So, um, I'm kidding. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're at this morning. Starting the last chapter in Ephesians. Um, We've been going through that for a little while now, and we start chapter 6, the final chapter in Ephesians this morning, really continuing where it picked up, or where it was last week. It's, there's a, a consistent line of reasoning. We'll refer to that a little bit more here in just a little bit in the passage. Our passage today does have two sides to it, uh, the first side being the responsibility of children to parents, and the second being the responsibility of parents to children, fathers in particular, parents in general. Uh, the responsibility to our children there. Let's read it real quick uh, before we, we go further. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our text today, and we're going to dive right in. This is not a small thing, okay? Not a small thing at all. It's something, honestly, very close to my heart, very close to Amy's heart, and I know it is to, to most all of you in here this morning that are parents as well. Something we, we don't want to get wrong. This is something that really, really matters. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing in society. It's not a small thing in our church. Because honestly, things are really broken here. And things are really messed up in this relationship, in our culture today. Relationships are broken. You know, the most important relationship for moms and dads is the relationship with each other. That is the primary relationship. We talked about that last week. Pastor Stacy did in the previous passage, uh, husbands and wives and how they relate to each other. That is the fundamental most important relationship. By the way, it's important to your kids that that is the most important relationship, is your marriage relationship. But second, the second most important relationship for mom and dads is with your kids. By the way, that success in that area is far more important than success in your career. Just to the men, and honestly, the men are going to get the brunt of this this morning, the, the, the biggest charge, because that's exactly what happens in the text, in the passages, in the passage we're looking at. Men, your chief responsibility is not to be a good breadwinner for your family. That is not what your chief responsibility is. You don't even need to be saved to do that. Everybody does that. Unless they're a complete derelict father, everybody does that. That is not your chief responsibility as a father. Your chief responsibility is to lead your family to know, to love, and to follow Jesus. That is your chief responsibility as a man. To lead your family to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. Now last week we saw that very idea in relation to your marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word, so that He might present 
the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you hear that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And what do you do? Having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the word. In other words, husbands, disciple your wives. You're the pastor of your home. Lead spiritually in your home. Disciple your wives. Wash them with the water of the word. By the way, young ladies, don't spiritually marry down. That happens a whole lot. Have high standards there. Because you, you need a husband who, who, can, who can lead spiritually in the home and who can wash you with the water of the Word. Who can disciple you there. Th- that was last week. This week, we see it with our kids. Fathers, do not, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the, in the instruction of the Lord. That's the week it's with the kids. But before we jump right into the text, I want to get one thing out of the way because I think it's really important and it flies in the face of most of what you see in terms of families on TV and everything else today. It's just wrong. The family is not a democracy. The home is not a democracy. It's not. Everyone doesn't get an equal vote. There's structure in the home and this passage lays that out. So let me just put that on the table right from the very beginning. There is structure. This passage lays it out. Um, I absolutely love my family. I value, I value what my kids' opinions are to some degree. But it's no democracy in the home. There is structure. God gives us a structure. He gives that structure to us for a reason. And we're going to talk about that and see that um, today in the passage. So jumping right into verses 1 through 3, let me first read it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you in the, and you may live long in the land. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The responsibility of children to parents. What is it? What is the responsibility of children to parents? Obedience and respect. Obedience and respect. Those are almost bad words in our culture today, but they're not in God's economy here. Obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What is my responsibility if if I'm a child or when I was a child in the home of my parents? It was to obey my parents. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, this is not a difficult verse to interpret. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time breaking down this verse so that you can understand what it says. It's kind of plain. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Obey your parents. That's what it says. It's not not hard to understand. Young people, do you understand the verse? question is, do you want to understand the verse? It's pretty plain, right? Obey your parents. That's what it says. When Haston in particular was young, we, reversed, we rehearsed this verse many, many times. Haston, what does Ephesians 6 1 say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He knew it. He knew it well because we had rehearsed it so much. It's not a difficult one. The question is do, do I want to know it? Am I willing to know it? It says, For this is right. It doesn't say that it's good. It doesn't say obey your parents because it's good. It says it's right. Obeying your parents is right. And, you know, young people, you may say, but my parents are, they're unreasonable. (laughs) Other parents don't make their kids do that. Other parents aren't responsible for you 
and you're not responsible to other parents. Your parents aren't responsible for other kids either. Obey your parents. It doesn't matter if you think they're right. God's saying, obey your father and mother. That's what's right. You don't have to agree. Again, the home is not a democracy. You don't have to agree. Mom, dad, I'll obey you if I think what you're doing is the right decision. It's not what the Bible says. Not a democracy. No equal votes here. That's not how God has ordained it. He says, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. Whether you agree or not, you don't have to agree. By the way, when you go to work and your boss says, I want us to do it this way, you may not agree. Do you want to keep your job? It's not a democracy here. That's just the structure that God has given us in society. I don't have, I, I, didn't, I didn't like some of the things my parents did when I grew up. Sometimes we're arrogant when we're young. We think we know better than our parents. But I so appreciate the fact that my parents had some rules and we were expected to follow them. Very much appreciate that now. I just challenge you, youth, be really careful about being arrogant here as if, as if you know better than your parents. By the way, even if you did, it wouldn't matter. God says, obey your parents. They're the ones that you put in charge. And by the way, you don't. So let's just settle that really quickly. I just say this, unless it's abuse, unless we're talking about real abuse, that doesn't include being told no, okay? Abuse is not your parents saying no. Younger people, abuse is not getting a whooping either. Unless it's abuse or they're trying to lead you into sin, obey your parents. Obey your parents. Paul refers back to the Ten Commandments to support what he's saying. I mean, the Big Ten here, that's what we're going back to here. In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5.16, he's quoting here, he says, Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and mother as the Lord um, your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what does he do? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And let me show you it's right. It's one of the big ten commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And he talks about the promise that goes along with that. Honor you. So obedience and respect. To honor your parents is to respect them. By the way, respecting them means that you obey them as well. You obey them in the Lord. Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. By the way, King James translates it fear. It's, it's a word often used of God. Their children are to reverence their parents. Revere your parents. Fear God and fear your mom. In the right way. Sometimes that might happen through dad. And I would say, Dad, it's your responsibility to make sure the kids respect Mom. you got to do that. But you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. I can't respect them. Man, so when you become perfect, you can start expecting your parents to be perfect. Because they're not. Neither are you. You don't respect your parents because they're perfect. You respect them because God says to. They are your parents. Think about it even in relationships like this. You, you see the faults in your parents. You do as kids. You know your parents aren't perfect. That's part of it. Okay, fine. Think about it even with like David and Saul. David 
Saul was chasing David and trying to kill him, David would not strike out against Saul because he was the king. Even though, by all means, it looked like he would be completely justified. But he was in that position that was ordained by God. And so David would not strike back against Saul. David was, Saul was in the wrong. Even if you think you're right, you have parents that God has ordained. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If they're in a position, your parents are in a position of respect. And by the way, let me just say, you, you gain a lot more knowledge and experience the longer you live, and I guarantee as you get older, you're going to be looked back and say, yeah, they were right. <laughs> they were right. You may not see it now, but that will be the case in your life. Your parents are in a position of respect. God calls you to. He tells you, listen, obey them, honor them, respect them. That means, listen, that means that it's impossible to honor God without honoring your parents. You are not a young people that honors, you're not a young person, you're not a youth, you're not a, an older kid, whatever it is, that honors the Lord if you don't honor your parents. Those two are mutually exclusive. If that's the primary means in which you show you're honoring the Lord is that you're honoring your parents. You're respecting and you're obeying them. By the way, God is very serious about this in Scripture. I think we just kind of gloss over it a little bit. Yeah, they, they don't. Man, God is really, when you, read the, when you read Scripture, God is really serious about this as an issue. Do you know what the penalty was for a rebellious young man or young woman in the Old Testament? Stone them. Somebody that doesn't respect their father and mother and rebels against them, turns against them, it, 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 was, a, it was a death penalty. It was, it was a major thing in God's law. Deuteronomy 21, 18-21 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take him Take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate, at the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So shall you purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You got your crazy son goes in complete rebellion? Stone him. That's in harsh. It is. It's very harsh. Exodus 21, 15 and 7 says, and then 17, it says, it talks about if you strike or even just curse your father and mother, you're to be put to death. By the way, that punishment of execution does not apply today, and I'm not up here advocating for it. That's in Old Testament as a theocracy, okay? I'm not saying. Please hear that I'm not saying that. That doesn't apply to us today. That was a, the Old Testament theocracy under the nation of Israel. Doesn't apply to us. Hear that very clearly. But God, here's the deal. But God's position on the seriousness of respecting your parents very much does apply. I hope you just see that to God. That is a big deal. That's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Respect your parents. Matthew, you think, well, that's just the Old Testament. Well, Matthew chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, Jesus 
talks about it in light of his teaching there. He says in, in the verse, he says, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Jesus is quoting Exodus. He's quoting the Old Testament there. But, but you say, it's not one that says, but I say to you, is, but you say, Jesus is saying, here's how you twist that. If anyone tells his father or his mother what you have, uh, what you have uh, gained from me is given to God. He, uh, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What in the world's going on in this passage? Jesus is talking about the commandment to honor your father and mother. By the way, he's not lessening it. He is criticizing them for lessening it and finding excuses to get out of honoring their father and mother. And he says, because you find excuses to get around honoring your father and mother, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, it is the heart of God to honor your father and your mother. They were going by a tradition, not by the law of God. And Jesus calls them hypocrites for making void the word of God. Do you think God is serious about this? Obviously, God is very, very serious about this. Notice three things about this commandment uh, that, are, that we see here. Um, and some in the text, some, are, some we just need to understand. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with the promise, it says in the text. So what do we know about this one of the Ten Commandments? First, it's the fifth of the, com- the commandment. You say, it's all the way down on number five. Except when you realize that number one through four are directly about how you relate to God. They're the vertical commandments. I think you probably have some idea what they are. I'm the Lord, you don't get another. Have no other gods before beside me. Number two, don't try to make anything that looks like me or something else to bow down to. No idols. Number three, don't mess with my name. Don't take my name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. All of those are vertical commandments, but then number five through ten are the horizontal commandments. Number one on that list of horizontal commandments, how we relate with other people, is honor your father in your mother. That's where it starts. If you can't honor your father and mother, you're not going to get anything else right either. The other relationships won't be right either. It's the first of the horizontal commandments. Second, and this is a little bit on the positive side, Paul points something out about this commandment. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. And listen, in parentheses there you see it, because Paul's adding this note. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is the first the commandment that has a promise. What is he talking about there? The first commandment that has a promise. Do the other commandments have a promise? You shall have no other gods beside me, before beside me. Did I get a promise with that one? Nope. Just do it. Don't make or bow down to idols. Did I get a promise with that one? No. Just don't do it. Don't take my name in vain. Number three, did I get a promise with that one? No, don't do it. 
Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't mess with my day, God says. Do I get a promise with that one? No. Just do it. Honor your father and your mother. Do I get a promise with that one? Yeah, you get a promise with that one. Yes, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does that mean? You know, you know what the, that tells me? It, it tells me this. Honoring your parents brings God's blessing. Honoring your parents brings God's blessing. This is the positive side of it. Don't do it under the Old Testament law for the nation of Israel. You could lose your life. I mean, God was really serious about it. But there's a positive side to it too. Honoring your father and mother brings God's blessing. That you may, things may go well with you and you may live long in the land. In other words, God is going to bless that. That is something that God will bless. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In other words, you want, you want to please God. You want to know what is close to God's heart for you as a young person. Obey and honor your parents. That is what pleases the Lord. Third, this context speaks to a, a spiritual reality that's lived out in a practical way. And this was, Stacy alluded to this last week. I hope you understand that we don't just, this, this passage right here, children obey your parents and all, this is not just a random passage that Paul decided to throw in in the, in the midst of everything else he was talking about there. It's tied directly back with 518. In, in chapter 5, verse 18, you know, Paul starts, you know, look carefully how you walk, right? Not as unwise. He gives three different contrasts there. Don't do this, but do this. Look carefully how you walk. Um, and the third of those contrasts is do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. By the way, that same verse, not just that same, not the same verse, that same sentence, that same sentence doesn't end until verse 21. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it says three things that go along with being filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Same sentence. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is, is, is you're going to submit to proper biblical authority if you're filled with the Spirit of God. And then, by the way, he gives three separate contexts in which that is lived out. Wives with husbands, children with parents, servants with masters. We're in the middle one right now. Three contexts where that is lived out. Being filled with the Spirit. The context speaks to a spiritual reality. You show me a kid that honors and respects his parents, there's a good chance that kid is, 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 is filled with the Spirit of God and God's work is evident in him. You want to follow Jesus? This is part of what it means. A couple of practical words here. I don't think the text is that hard to understand. A couple of practical words, and I really got to move. I'm sorry, I got a lot here, but I do want to, I do want to say this. Our culture is completely messed up and unbiblical here. I totally believe that. And this is something near and dear to our heart. Let me just, let me just, I'm going to, let me for a minute just kind of go after a couple of things here because I think it's so destructive. I think it's so wrong. And I think as a church, we need to completely and utterly reject this the idea that we expect teenagers to have bad attitudes argue with their parents and be rebellious is an indication that we are utterly compromised by the culture around us the idea that we expect that 
I cringe. I cringe at the way people talk about teenagers as if it's just a foregone conclusion that they're going to have a bad attitude and be disrespectful. Our expectations are so low there. We have set the bar so low for our young people. By the way, it's no surprise when they live up to the really low bar that we set for them. Because our expectations are in the floor when it comes to how honorable and respectful teenagers are going to be. Or how, what they can do in their relationship with Christ. That's a huge problem. I've got four teenagers right now. I've got a 17-year-old, two 15-year-olds, and a 13-year-old. I've I got four of these right now. This is huge to me. This is incredibly important to me. I'm teaching the youth on Wednesday nights, and one of the very first, first time I was over there teaching them, I said, listen, I totally reject this idea that this is a kind of a babysitting service until you're ready for the, the prime time. You can follow Jesus now. You need to follow Jesus now. We're not waiting for something else. Like Josiah, while he was young, he began to seek after God. The time for you to, to be a disciple of Jesus and to live that out is now, not later. We have four kids and have told them often that we totally reject these low expectations for them. We're not, we're not going. We're not accepting that. That's not who we are as a family. And I really encourage you to do the same. Our kids are far from perfect. Primary reason, because their dad is far from perfect. <laughs> Amen. Yes. But I will say, listen, we hardly have to deal with that mess. Because from time to time... From the time they were young, we've been hammering into them that knowing, loving, and following Jesus is for them now, not later. That expectation set while they're young. You parents with young kids, you better set that expectation early and start pouring the gospel into them, pouring in the importance of following Jesus to them early. And don't accept, don't accept these cultural expectations that are, that, are, that are certainly not founded in Scripture and are totally contrary to what the Bible says. Don't accept that at all. I want to declare war on horribly low expectations for our kids. They can follow Jesus. They can love Jesus. They can obey Jesus. And I, you young people, I mean, we got a few in the room. Reject that mess. Reject that baloney. Know, love, and follow Jesus now. And yes, knowing and loving and following Jesus is going to mean that you obey and respect your parents. That is part of it. Now, we've got a uh, transition here. The responsibility of parents to children, loving discipline and discipleship. Loving discipline. Now, the other side of that, children to parents, which, by the way, I still put a whole lot of that on parents. It is on us. The other side of that is, is, is parents to children here. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian father? Teach them right from wrong and bring them to church? 
This verse is addressed to fathers in particular, but there's, there's much that applies to parents in general. So it's for all parents, but I really just want to, I really want to focus in mostly on parents, uh, on fathers, because fathers, you are called to lead here. There is a way, there is a way, well, let me just first read verse 4 again so you get where we're going here. Verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? It means this, there's a way of parenting that grows bitter and resentful children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There is a, there's a way of being a father and probably being a parent in general that promotes bitter and resentful children or that grows them. Anyone ever seen that? And it can happen, it can happen for a few different reasons. Let me just name a few reasons I think that can happen. Number one could be that dad is a deadbeat. Dad is a deadbeat. Your child wants love and attention, but you're not engaged. You're checked out. Maybe he expects his wife to do all the raising of the kids. Dad's a deadbeat when it comes to the relational well-being of the kids. Another reason or another way that can happen is that dad is absent. Dad is absent. Let me just say this. Those... Those who work away for extended periods of time need to be very careful here. Be very careful here. It's not that you, you know, to be a good father, you can't take a job that takes you away. No, you may need to do that. But you have to be very intentional. Be very careful. Dad is absent. When you're home, what do you do? Do you go do your hobbies or do you invest in your kids? When you are with them, when you are home. It can even happen with pastor's kids sometimes. Dad has times for everybody else's problems except mine. You've got to be careful about that. Maybe there's been a divorce or dad just left and he's out of the picture, but whatever, whatever it is, dad is absent. Now the children need their dad to be present in their lives. Your kids need you present, active in their lives. And if there's a young person without a father in their lives, then moms have to carry the extra load and do the best they can. And hopefully the church is in the picture to actually help with that. We know that Psalm 68.5 says God is a father to the fatherless. And maybe, maybe God is going to manifest that through some of the other men in the church to help pour into those kids. Another reason that I think kids can be provoked to anger, bitterness, and resentment is that dad's a drill sergeant. Dad is a drill sergeant. There's a lot of correction, but little compassion. All dad ever does is tell me what I've done wrong. He just hammers me all the time what I've done wrong. Correction without any compassion. Let me tell you something. This, this was one of my seminary professors. He said something to me that's always stuck with me. I heard him say it multiple times in different contexts, and I, and I, I, I haven't forgotten it, and I'm not ever going to forget it. And I really encourage you, it's going to be in your notes. Write this down and don't forget it. It's a great saying. It says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. If you're just a drill sergeant, always hammering what everything they do wrong, but you don't actually have a good, solid, loving relationship with them, don't be surprised if they resent you. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. 
does this mean that being a good dad means you're never, your kids are never going to get angry with you? Is that what that means? You don't provoke your kids to anger, so my kids are never going to get angry with me if I'm a good dad. Nope, the opposite may be true. This is not referring to a child or a teen who's mad because they don't get their way. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a child or teen who is bitter because their dad is not acting like a godly dad. And this happens over time and grows out. Dads have a central responsibility in raising their kids. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Did you hear that? Who, who is being told here to bring up the kids? Fathers. Fathers. Isn't that my wife's job? I pay the bills and put food on the table, right? No. Fathers, bring them up. But I work all the time and I'm tired. Fathers, bring them up. Nobody ever said it's going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really, really hard. This verse implies an active dad, a dad that's engaged, a dad that's in the middle of the family life in a loving way, leading the family to know, love, and follow Jesus. By the way, if you don't work hard as a dad, who cares what you do at work? Who cares what happens in your career if you're not investing as a father? Many fathers build an empire at work but lose their children at home. And we call that success? No, no, no. This verse is going to tell us what the primary responsibilities of men are. So what, what is my responsibility? If I'm supposed to be engaged and I'm supposed to be bringing them up, what does that look like? What do I do? Well, one thing is dads are to lead in godly discipline. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Dads are to lead in godly discipline. What does that look like? The word discipline here is about more than just correcting bad behavior, which that is certainly part of it. You're not just to tell them what, they, what to do and what not to do. You're to teach them righteousness. And there's a big difference there. It's, the word implies education. Don't provoke your children to anger. Just hammer constantly everything that they're doing wrong, but build them up in what is right and what matters. By the way, rules aren't the problem. Having rules is not the problem. Uh, let me just, I, I'm giving some opinion here, so if you want to reject it, reject it, fine. And some, I don't think most parents are nearly strict enough. I think we're way too far on the other side. Rules aren't the problem. I think reality is we don't have enough rules, or if we have rules, they're not enforced. I don't think rules are the problem. We've got a lot of rules, by the way. I mean, honestly, if, 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 we, if you hear some of our rules, you probably think, man, the buntings are really backwards. Okay, I'm okay with that. I, I want to totally reject our culture, okay? I, I really do. I think we need to. I think it's wrong. I think it's destructive. I think it's harmful to kids. So I don't mind being thought of as backwards on some of those things. We have a lot of rules that probably put us totally out of step with what's normal, and I'm perfectly okay of that, with that. Let me just throw... I, some of you, some of you have no idea where your kids were last night or what they were doing. 
I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem. Let me say how kind of we go at that. Our kids don't just tell us where they're going or that they're going out with friends without us knowing where they're going, who they're going to be with, and what they're going to be doing, and what supervision will be there. And by the way, we verify that because we don't let them go do that unless we know who's going to be there and what's going to be going on. If all that doesn't measure up, we say no. And by the way, when we say no, we don't get a lot of argument back because that expectation was started when they're young and raised up. You can do that. You can do that. Parents with young kids, start that now. We're not waiting. Some other day. You know, one thing that's really, our kids don't get phones until they start driving. They don't. And from my phone, I can control what they can and can't look at. And I can see what they are looking at. And what, they can't download an app without approval. They can't do all that stuff. By the way, they plug for iPhone. iPhone actually allows you to do that. That's why we went that direction. Do you have any idea what your kids are doing with unrestricted internet access? You'd probably be shocked. Maybe you wouldn't be shocked. Our kids don't have any social media. We don't think that's helpful. One reason, one way we're totally out of step is our kids don't date. We don't do the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. We don't do it. It's so funny because people joke with our kids, hey, so you got a girlfriend? No. (laughs) We don't go there. First of all, we don't think it's biblical. When I look at Scripture, I I I see two possibilities there where that's appropriate, that kind of relationship is appropriate. Marriage and a relationship leading to marriage. Our young people most of the time aren't ready for either one of those. They're not, they're not ready to move towards marriage. Leave those girls alone. Leave those boys alone. By the way, right now, if they're not ready for marriage, then this is a time for them to prepare for that relationship, not participate in it. They get these deep, emotional, involved marriage without the ring that are physically and emotionally involved. I heard a preacher say, this was back when I was in college, he said, most of what we call dating today is glorified divorce practice. I think he's totally right. Most of what we call dating today is glorified divorce practice. Let me get into this deep emotional and, by the way, physical relationship with someone and this connection, and then, oh, I don't think that works anymore. They don't think it works anymore, so we're scratching that. Somebody else's husband or wife, and then we go find somebody else and we do the same thing. No, that doesn't work anymore. It's glorified divorce practice. I know I'm meddling in a lot of things, but that's, sorry. By the way, it usually leads to moral compromise and failure. And we set our kids up. In our modern whole dating system, we set our kids up for moral compromise and failure. We should have no surprise when it happens. And by the way, it usually happens. More often than not. How many of our kids actually enter marriage Pure. We set them up for that. For failure. Let me just ask dads a question here. Would you let some random teenage boy, he comes to you and says, hey, if, if, I want to take, take out your new truck. 
this Saturday night and just taking on the town for a while. Can I have the keys? How many of you would say, yeah, here's the keys to some young, immature teenage boy? There's no way you would do that. But yet you would say, but no, you can't take my truck. But here's my daughter. Forget the truck. Forget the truck. Okay, I'm really going off, but have rules and enforce them. By the way, don't be afraid to be totally weird and different in the culture. We need to be. We need to be. We're not supposed to fit in, guys. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. Have rules and enforce them. And let's go with the younger kids for just a little bit because it takes a little bit different tone when you're talking about the younger kids. I really encourage parents and fathers, particular parents in general here, don't warn your kids 15 times and then give in to them. Don't do it. Don't count. One, two, three. Okay, I'm going to start over. One, don't do that. You're teaching your kids to push the line as far as they can instead of just obeying. And don't think they don't pick that up. You keep teaching your kids to manipulate instead of obey. Don't do it. If they're not obeying, then take them somewhere private and discipline them. And by the way, take them somewhere private. It's not a public spectacle. Take them somewhere private and discipline them. You establish that early on. And it'll make life much easier later. Establish discipline and expectation of first-time obedience. Discipline. Discipline. And by the way, when they're young, that does involve spanking. I'm just going to come on record. That's what the Bible says to do. It does involve spanking. The Bible is very clear about that. Proverbs 13, 24, he says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. You know, I grew up here and saying, Spare the rod, spoil the child. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That is not what the verse says. It says, He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. That's what it says. In other words, loving your kid is disciplining them. Refusal to do so, sparing the rod in that sense, is not loving your kid. Because it's, it's not good for them. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We need it. They need it. I'm thankful that my parents... Drove that folly out of me all over the house, okay? I needed that. My kids have needed that. When they're young, don't be afraid of that. It says in Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, this one always cracks me up a little bit. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. In other words, kids need discipline. And part of that is corporal punishment. It is spanking. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You don't want to do it. You say, nope. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and reproof bring discipline, but a child left to his own brings shame to his mother. Physical discipline in the Bible is an act of love, not an act of hate. He who, he who um, 
Whoever spares the rod hates somebody who loves him, disciplines him. By the way, God disciplines you. If you're a child of God, he disciplines you because we need it. It's an act of love, not an act of violence or an act of hate or anything like that. If you think if you, think you have better disciplining ideas than God, then you may have some other problems, but, but fine, you go after that. But understand, and this, uh, this comes, actually comes back to our discipline, God's discipline is always redemptive in nature. If you're a child of God, He disciplines. Those whom He loves, He disciplines. It's always redemptive in nature. And let me just say, as parents... Should I, spank you? should I spank my kids when they're young? Yeah, I should. Because <laughs> they're going to need it. And folly's bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it I Absolutely. But it, it has to be redemptive in nature. If it can't be redemptive in nature, then don't do it. It's, I can't remember. Um, I, I hope. I, this, let me just challenge you parents with something. That means you can never discipline out of anger. I think a lot of times... We don't, we just warn and warn and warn and warn and don't enforce anything, don't do anything until it gets so out of hand that we're so frustrated, then that anger boils over and we whoop the kids in anger. That's borderline on abuse there. That's a problem. Because God's discipline and what He calls us to do is a loving and a redemptive thing as parents, not a thing done in anger. Be very careful there by the way we've had experience with this plenty let me tell you a little bit how that almost always goes first of all we talk about what what happened sometimes there's some give and take there discipline the kids and then we talk about the gospel and we talk about the fact that we're all fallen and messed up They've, it's so important for them and their well-being that they learn, that they learn respect, that they learn obedience, that they learn that there are, there are boundaries. They need to know that for life. We're loving them. We're helping them. But then we talk about the fact that there is love and forgiveness and grace. Discipline is an awesome opportunity to talk about the gospel. By the way, you can't do that if you're in some out-of-control rage. Gospel-centered. Rules rooted in gospel-centered love leads to righteousness. Make it about the gospel. I remember when I was a kid one time, um, I had done something stupid, which was normal. And I got, you know, I was getting in trouble by my dad. And he took me to the room and I, it was coming. He said, listen, I'm going to do something different this time. You messed up. And you have to learn that that's not okay. There needs to be punishment. But I'm going to take it for you. And he handed me the belt and said, you're going to whoop me today. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. Rules rooted in gospel-centered love leads to righteousness. Dads, you're to lead in the discipline of your children. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, but not just the discipline of the Lord, discipleship. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, it says. This word clearly means verbal teaching. Disciple your kids. I got to hurry here real quick. I'm sorry because I know we're kind of long. But fathers, you're the pastors of your home. Are you teaching the word in the home? It's not mom. It's not, it's not that mamas don't have a role to teach the word in the home. They do, but dad, the primary responsibility rests on your shoulders. Teach the word to your kids. Disciple your kids. Raise them in the instruction of the Lord. 
dads, and if you shrug this off, then don't be surprised if the things of God aren't all that important to your children either. Especially your sons, dads. Have you ever led your family in a Bible study? You ever done that? You ever lead family worship times? I cannot tell you the value of that. Getting together as a family and, and worshiping and getting in the Word together. And Dad, you're leading that. Have you done that? If you're not, I really implore you. Teach the Word to your family. Worship together. I, I, what we've done more, more lately is, you know, we'll talk about the Word. We'll get in the Word together, but... Listen, I can't sing to carry anything. So we, we, we've, we put YouTube worship videos on the TV and we sing together. And it's good. And by the way, my four teenagers love it. And they ask for it. They want it. Busyness is the enemy there, so I really encourage you to be careful. We've found that. Pour the Word. Worship as a family. Pour the Gospel into your kids. We're not talking about moral confirmation here. The goal, by the way, whether it's discipline, whether it's teaching your kids to obey, the, 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 the goal is not just moral confirmation, but the goal is spiritual transformation, okay? I don't just want my kids to be good little robots that say, yes, sir, no, sir. No, I do want them to say, yes, sir, no, sir, and do that. That is an expectation in our home. I, all that, but listen, I want it to be a heart issue. It's got to be a heart issue too. Spiritual transformation, not just a moral confirmation. Just a little bit of, we got parents with young kids. Let me just tell you, we've tried to be intentional. We failed so much, but we've tried. We, our approach is, was this, and still is, but it, especially some of this when they were young. We would try to find every opportunity we could to talk about the gospel why they need it, and how to respond to it. Every opportunity, whether we're sitting as a family and reading Pilgrim's Progress together, and you hear, this, the, you hear these different illustrations that are really cool, and we take that opportunity, we talk about the gospel. This is the gospel. that We've gone through catechisms together. We've done all kinds of different things there, and we just look at the Scripture, and it always goes back to the gospel. Understand, kids, this is what the gospel is. This is what Jesus did for you. This is why you needed Him to do that for you. And this is how you respond to the gospel. You turn from your sin, and you trust in Jesus, and we have to do that. We desperately need to do that. I never ask my kids, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? Do you want to pray this prayer right now? They would have done that 15 million times if I'd ask. We're looking for a real hard issue. Pour the gospel into your kids. Talk to them about what it means to respond to Christ. Respond to the gospel and let Him work. Praise the Lord, they've all come to us and said, by the way, it all happened. It didn't happen in some formal deal. They've all come to us and said, the Lord saved me. I've trusted Jesus. I've done that. And it's just, I thank the Lord for that. And I pray that they'll continue to grow in that. You say, I'm not prepared to do that. Dads, you may say, I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to do that. Well, let's get you prepared. Let me tell you something. I, I think there's several of us in church, I know Pastor Stacey and I would absolutely love to help you get prepared to do that. That's absolutely. Discipling dads to be Christian fathers is a primary ministry of the church. 
I loved, uh, there was a pastor of a church in Alabama, a pretty large church over there. His name's Jeff Noblet. He, he talked about, he said, people come to our church all the time and they ask, you know, tell me about your children's ministry. You know what he said? He said, I tell them it's called Father's. Yeah, they have a children's ministry. But the primary, ultimate children's ministry is dads. It's called fathers. The point, the point is that discipling your children, both, by the way, disciplining, bringing them up, discipling them, your children takes intentionality. This is not just going to happen. It takes intentionality. I've shared with you some of the things that we do as parents I don't care if you don't do everything like we do as parents. That's not the point. You don't have to do everything just like we do. But you do have to be intentional about the discipline and the discipleship of your kids or it won't happen. You have to be intentional. Is that going to guarantee that your kids aren't going to go off the deep end and go into rebellion? Is that going to guarantee that? No, we live in a fallen world. By the way, you can pour your heart into it and that can still happen. But this means that God is ordained for us to raise our kids to know, love, and follow Jesus. And if you do so, there's a really good chance. God is at work in that, and we use that in the lives of your kids. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for a hard challenge, Lord. Something that's just so not where we live. live in a culture of autonomy. Nobody should tell anybody anything, Lord, and we've just given over to that. God, I, no doubt that there's people in this room that would have loved to have had a strong relationship with the dad, but dad was not there. And Lord, I pray that they'll know that they still have a perfect father in you. And God, I just pray for the fathers in the room. God, I pray you'll stir in their hearts so much about the importance and the priority and what really matters, Lord, and it's not their job or their hobbies or their kids' activities or anything like that, Lord. I pray you'll give them a heart to raise kids to know and love and follow you and that they will adjust everything around that goal. Help us in that regard. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.